I ask you to keep your Bibles open. We'll study through these verses together this morning. And the title of today's sermon is The One Death That Made All the Difference. The One Death That Made All the Difference. So let's pause for a minute and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we are preparing our hearts in in these next few moments to come to a very sacred, holy, special meal together. We call it the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's table. It is an, an ordinance, a service, a reminder that the Lord Jesus has given us. It's a very unique meal that we gather around. It's, it's a very sanctified, holy meal, not because particularly of just because of the, the two elements, but of the purpose and the meaning behind them. When Jesus says of the bread, this is my body, and says of the cup, this is the blood, this is my blood of the new covenant. So what what we are commemorating and, and honoring and remembering today is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a sacrifice, Christ offering himself that we might be saved and we might be forgiven. So it's not, it's not just something that we do. It's, it's not just ritual without meaning. It's, it is the very heartbeat of our faith. And so today we, we understand that when we gather we, like this, we are proclaiming, we are professing our faith in Christ. We are professing the, the truth that Christ's death is sufficient for our salvation And so we understand, Father, that today you will be strengthening us, encouraging us, teaching us, training us as your people to love the gospel, to love your Son, to pursue Christ-likeness even more so. And so that is our prayer, Father, as we look to the Scripture together and as we enjoy this meal together, that you would continue your great work within our lives making us more like Christ. And if there be any gathered with us today apart from Christ, that you would, Father, graciously open eyes and open hearts that they might see the sufficient, powerful, loving, willing sacrifice, giving of Christ for our eternal hope and redemption. This is the most important thing in the world. Father, be glorified with what you accomplished today in your church, in your people, for your name. We ask it 
In Christ's name, amen. The one death that made all the difference. So today we are remembering, as Christ said, this do in remembrance of me. We are remembering the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. We do that through observing this Lord's table together. This meal reminds us that when Jesus died on the cross, his broken body, his shed blood was the final perfect sacrifice for sin. Which again teaches us and reminds us of what our greatest problem is as human beings. Our greatest problem is is not the environment around us. We often like to to point to other people or circumstances or environment or uh, whatever it might be. But our greatest problem is not the environment around us. Our greatest problem is the environment within us. The decay and the corruption and the rebellion that is inerrantly within us as sinners, people who are born in sin, naturally inclined away from God, to resist God, to reject God, to refuse God, to deny God, to disbelieve God, to mistrust God, to act in our own interest and without regard for the Lord. That's our greatest problem, our selfish depravity, our determined rebellion against our Creator. Because of our greatest problem of sin, sin has left us broken in in many ways, broken in life, broken in our relationship with our Lord and Creator, separated from God. But if there was a way... If sin is the issue, if sin is our greatest problem, if sin has created this brokenness in life, brokenness in the world, no one would deny that something's wrong with the world. Something's wrong with with people. How, how, How can people treat each other the way that people do? Something is wrong. Different people have different answers. A lot of it's has to do with the environment. The Bible says that the issue is sin. The issue is sin. So if there was a way to adequately and properly deal with our sin, then number one, we could be forgiven. We could be forgiven of the sins that we have committed. We could be pardoned. We, we could be removed from the, the punishment that is due to the sins that we have committed. We could be reconciled to our Creator. That separation, that, that gap that's been created between us and our God could, could be relinquished. We could be reunited and, re, and reconciled. The main idea of the Old Testament... If you could boil the Old, Old Testament down to just a few words would be this. We are sinners. We need a Savior. We are sinners. We need a Savior. We need someone to, to rescue us from sin's grip. It, it has a death grip, literally. It has a death grip on our lives. And it squeezes and squeezes and squeezes us until finally... 
It destroys our lives. It destroys our souls. We need someone to rescue us from sin's grip, from sin's guilt that we carry when we pursue the things that are wrong, believing that they are right for us at the time, and we pursue them anyway uh, in spite of what the Word of God says, and then we are heaped upon with this guilt and sin's punishment. We need someone to rescue us from our own sin and the consequences of our own sin. So that requires a sacrifice. And there's only been one that is adequate for the task. To adequately and properly deal with the sins that we have committed against God. There is one death that made all the difference. And that's kind of the main idea I want us to see as we move through these 18 verses together this morning. One aspect of looking at the death of Christ as we go to remember that death together in communion. First of all, we'll notice together in verse 11 the the insufficiency of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. The insufficiency. They're just not up to the task. They cannot properly and adequately and fully deal with sin and our sin problem. Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over and over and over again which can never take away sins. That's explaining why the same sacrifices are repeated over and over and over again because ultimately they are insufficient to do what needs to be done, removal of sin. So as you read through the Old Testament, I don't know what your plan is for your daily time with the Lord, but my plan every year is I usually just start in Genesis and just head through the Scripture. So about this time, I'm guess where I'm at? I'm in Leviticus. And if you read through Leviticus, what you, you, you see all of these sacrifices, all of these rules, all of these regulations because... Every time you get through with a chunk of law in the Old Testament, somebody sins. And then you have another chunk of law, and somebody sins. And then you have another chunk of law, and it just keeps going and going and going. And the lesson there, the overall lesson that God is driving home is, you know, back even when God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, Israel just continues. It's human nature. It's not Israel. It's human nature. They just continue to rebel and to doubt and to grumble and complain and distrust and sin. And so God establishes a sacrificial system of animal offerings as a means whereby to provide a a kind of forgiveness and a, a type of atonement for his people. To teach his people that that the, the separation that sin creates between God and man can only be bridged through death. 
That's one of the reasons why God establishes this sacrificial system. It's teaching a visual lesson that death is the consequence of sin. When when sin is committed, the penalty for that sin is death. Thus, the sacrificial system. So rather than the sinner facing eternal death for the sin he has committed, God makes this sacrificial system and allows a substitutionary death in the sinner's place. Thus, the sacrificial system. So God is teaching consequence in the sacrificial system. Death, sin brings death. There's consequence. God's teaching substitution. That by grace, he's making a way of salvation. He's allowing a substitute in the sinner's place. He's allowing that substitute to take the death that is owed to the sinner. And when that occurs, when that death occurs on behalf of that sinner, then reconciliation occurs between a holy God and a sinful people. And that's why you see, if you, if you have your Bibles open, you see there in chapter 9 in verse 22, that's why the Hebrew writer says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the requirement for the forgiveness of sin is death, the shedding of blood, a sacrifice. But that was never a perfect system. That was a system that was meant to point. That was a system that was meant to be a temporary system waiting upon final salvation, final provision. And that's why in chapter 10, verse 4, the writer says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was never meant to be permanent. It was never meant to be final. It was never a perfect system. The death of an animal cannot be the final substitute for a man. It meets the requirement of death. That's the substitutionary sacrifice part of it. It meets the requirement of death, but it fails to perfect the sinner. Only man can pay for man's crime against God. So this sacrificial system was a a temporary means of, of dealing with sin in the short term, in the meantime, until the perfect substitute would come and deal with sin and with the sinner for the long term, forever. So you see, verse 11 says the priest stands daily and repeatedly offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. You see, that was the intended by God, intended insufficiency of the animal substitute. It couldn't take away man's sin. It could only temporarily cover it. When you begin to read through all of the sacrifices, and, and in Leviticus, they kind of condense all of the offerings in the, the feast days and such. And it gets to be quite overwhelming. 
Sacrifices were, were offered daily, weekly, monthly, annually, because today's sacrifice was, was to have forgiveness for yesterday's sin. The sin I committed yesterday, the sin I committed last month, the sin I committed last year. But what about today's sin? What about tomorrow's sin? Because I'm a sinner. Well, you're going to need another sacrifice for today's sin and for tomorrow's sin. So the temple grounds were a slaughterhouse. I mean... Just blood and gore everywhere. All of these constant animal sacrifices. A constant reminder. A visual reminder. Can can you imagine the sight, the sounds, the smell of the temple grounds to get to the Holy of Holies? The worship grounds. A constant reminder that sin is a greater, graver issue than this system, this current system of of animal substitutionary sacrifice can handle. It it, it can't handle it. It it can temporarily make some moves upon it, but it it can't handle it. There's simply not enough animals for all of the sins that men commit we need a sacrifice that will not only finally and fully remove our sin we need a savior that will finally and fully change the sinner so there was an insufficiency in the old testament the sacrifices of the old testament which brings us to this point In verses 12 and 13, there is a sufficiency, the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. And so you see this great contrast that's set up with these words, but when Christ had offered. Now the priest stands daily, constantly offering every day the same sacrifices, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice which dramatically is in contrast to the old testament sacrifice this is a single sacrifice and the truth rings loud and clear jesus offered himself as our perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sin he that that's what the bible means when you read that when jesus says the bible says he died for us but because he was sinless because he was god death could not keep him death could not hold him he rose And then he ascended back to the Father's right hand in heaven. And the work of redemption was at that point finally and fully accomplished. So he sat down. 
That's the point that the Hebrew uh, writer is stressing here. The priest stands daily. He's still got things to do. He will always have something to do under that system. So he stands daily. Christ is sitting because he's done. His work is finished. It is complete. There's nothing lacking for redemption, for forgiveness. There's nothing missing. There's nothing further to do. There is no need for another sacrifice or another substitute. The perfect one has been given. So his death was sufficient to to meet and defeat the power and the presence and the punishment of sin. So verse 13 says, at this point, he's, he's waiting, right? Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Calvary was D-Day. There is coming a V-Day. Satan's days are numbered. Sin has an expiration date. Jesus will reign forever. When Jesus returns, he will fully enact what he has already fully accomplished. He will fully bring into his kingdom the new heavens and the new earth what he fully decided and achieved in his death and resurrection the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, the, finally, I want us to look in the, in the third point of the sermon today in verses 14 through 18. Some of the reasoning, not all of the reasoning, but some of the reasons of what makes the sacrifice of Christ sufficient. So the Old Testament sacrifices were insufficient for complete final redemption. The the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient for complete final redemption. So why? What makes the sacrifice of Christ sufficient? And we begin in verse 14, it says for. So so he's explaining, why why is he sitting down? Why, Why is it over? For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. That is, he has made whole, he has made complete, he has made right with the Father. He has perfected for all time, forever, those, those. So he's talk, now we're talking about the people, not the problem. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The death that made all the difference. Notice, let's go back again and just, talk, and just make a note about those words, single offering. Because again, we, the, the writer is making sure that that is emphasized in our minds as the readers. That this is a single offering, a one time, one and done. You see, the Old Testament offerings were single offerings for single sins. 
this offering is for this sin. But the death of Christ was a single offering for every single sin, every single one of our sins, every single one. And I thought about how to, how to illustrate that. I came up with this. I started to call somebody up here to be my volunteer. It should be Martin. But, or Shane. Or, I'm just kidding. So what, we, what, what do you do about a single offering for every single sin? Well, what if this? What if every time you and I sinned, a sticky note appeared. That's one sin. Man. Well, there's another one. What? We start complaining about these sins appearing. There's another one. And, and, and on them, what if on these were in big letters what the sin was? Well, there's another one. Ooh. You say, boy, I'm, I'm glad that this doesn't happen. I'm glad that... There's nobody anywhere that sees how many sins I commit and what they are. Really? There's nobody that sees how many sins we commit and exactly what they are? Somebody's keeping a record. Somebody sees it just like this. Now, I don't know about you, but... I'd run out of this pad pretty quickly. I, I mean, I'm 49 years old. I've run out of a few warehouses of sticky notes. The Old Testament system says this. I come and bring my sacrifice for that sin. I come and bring my sacrifice tomorrow for that one, but by the time I get there tomorrow for that one, I've got this one. Christ came along and said, Done. Amen. Actually, that illustration breaks down. Christ took all of those off of me, put them on him, and then it was done. That single offering, sufficiency. Now, verse 14 says this. Watch this. Verse 14 says, By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed, uh, sanctified. So, verse 14 means that those Christ died for those that the death of Christ is applied to his sacrifice is so sufficient that their eternal perfection in glory is already sealed and certain it's not a maybe it's not a hope it's not well we got a better chance with this than we did with the old system it's already sure and certain he has he has it's done he has perfected for all time, forever, those, that's people. 
And you know who those people are. Who, who are those people that Christ in his death has perfected for all time? Who are they? Well, you know who those people are because right now, in the here and now, they are the ones who are being sanctified. Meaning they are the ones who are being made to look like Christ. They are the ones who are growing in Christ. They are the ones who are following Christ. Listen to these two statements about what this one verse, which is echoing all of Scripture, teaches us about the doctrine of our salvation in Christ. Your glorification is guaranteed at the moment of your regeneration. Your regeneration is evidenced and proven by your sanctification. If we get those two statements in our minds and hearts, we have the biblical doctrine of salvation in Christ. Your glorification is guaranteed at the moment of your regeneration. Your regeneration is evidenced and proven by your sanctification. Salvation is new birth, new life, and glory forever. If you are not being sanctified, you have not been perfected. If you are not following Christ and growing in Christ, you have never truly embraced Christ and trusted in his death on your behalf. But if you love Christ and earnestly seek to know him and follow him, he has made certain your address in paradise. So his death is so sufficient, his sacrifice is so sufficient that it just doesn't deal with sin, it changes the sinner. You see, he sat down, the work was fully, finally complete because it not only properly deals with the sin, but it also changes the sinner. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So that's one sense, his death adequately deals with sin and the sinner. Here's the second sense of what makes his sacrifice sufficient. In verses 15 through 18, so first of all, the Hebrew writer says, so I want you to get this. He changes the sinner, and that's what we need. We need to be changed, but he also, he also, don't, don't let us lose the point that he also, in order to change the to, to change the sinner, he has to properly, adequately deal with the sin. So now we go back to verses 15 and 18 and see this. And so in verse 16, he's quoting Jeremiah 31, the promise of the new covenant. You see, the old covenant under Moses said this. God said to the people, do this, that is all the law of God, do this and live. Keep the commands of God and live but we couldn't keep the law that was the the point of the old testament we couldn't keep it we're we're sinners we we're sinners by nature we're born sinners we can't keep the law something had to change inside of us 
That's the promise of the new covenant. We need a work of grace in our hearts. You see, we have to be changed to pursue God and to love God. The old covenant worked from the outside in, and it doesn't work for sinners. But the new covenant works from the inside out, and that's exactly what we as sinners need. We need a new heart if we're going to pursue a new life. A change of heart producing a change of life. So, when new covenant grace changes the heart of a sinner and and frees him or her to see their need of Christ and the provision of Christ and, and to love Christ, then we come to that great verse, the next verse in verse 7 and verse 17 where, where God pledges, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, when God says, I will remember your sins no more, it doesn't mean that in the mind of God, he totally forgets we've ever sinned. That, that, that knowledge totally vanishes from his mind. That's not what it means. It means he doesn't hold them against us. I, I will remember them no more. In fact, it's as if all of my sins were entirely removed from my record. They're not charged against me anymore. Now, how can God do that? How can a just and righteous and holy God just just wipe my sins off my chart? Wipe all of my wrong with with no punishment, with no consequence, with no justice. Here's how. Because Jesus came down from heaven 2,000 years ago and took every one of my sins upon his shoulders and sacrificed himself to pay for them all. That's why Paul says in Romans, that's how he is just and the justifier of those who believe in Christ. So that's why at the Last Supper, when Jesus was instituting this great meal with his disciples, he, he, he lifts up the cup and he says, Take and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So listen to this, church. Today, we remember the sacrifice at this table because it is through Christ that God no longer remembers our sin. And so verse 18, what makes the death of the sacrifice of Christ sufficient? Where there is forgiveness of these forgiveness of what sins and lawless deeds where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin because it's as if there's no sin there's been forgiveness 
There's nothing else to do. Did you catch that? We no longer need an offering, a sacrifice for sin because they've all been forgiven. In other words, the sacrifice of Christ, and here's the main point the Hebrew writer is making. The sacrifice of Christ accomplished what the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to but could never accomplish. They could only temporarily cover our sins. They couldn't take them away. And that is precisely what Jesus did. Every one of your sins, if you are trusting in him, he took away. I'll close with this illustration, and then we'll have a time of response and enjoy this meal together. Snowfall. We're pretty familiar with snowfall here lately, aren't we? Snowfall is like the Old Testament sacrifices. When it covers the ground, it's clean and it's pure and it's pretty. We love, I love to see the ground covered. It was great, this, this past snowfall we had. But soon, very soon, we start traveling the roads. We, we start moving around. We start pushing the snow around on our driveways and, and in parking lots and everywhere. And, and it doesn't take long for us to make a pretty snow look really dirty, does it? Doesn't take us long to get into something and really mess it up. And that pretty snow, that pretty clean snow gets awful dirty and messy. Here's another thing. All of that trash on the roadside. Boy, I hate that, don't you? Can you not wait till you get home to throw the cup away? Evidently, there's hundreds of people that can't. I mean, trash is everywhere on the side. When a snow falls and covers the ground, that's that's all covered. You can't see it, and everything looks pretty and and clean and and new. But the snowfall doesn't last long here. And all of that trash on, on the sides of the road that was covered up, it starts to surface again, doesn't it? It starts to show up again. You see, the the pretty snowfall that makes everything clean and pure and pretty, it doesn't remove our dirt and our trash and our filth. It just covers it for a little while. And then there it is again. So we need another snowfall to make it look pretty again. That's the Old Testament sacrifice. But there's a different kind of snow mentioned in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. It says, though your sins be as scarlet, they, your sins, shall be white as snow. You hear that? I'm going to do something with your sins. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do something on your sins. I'm going to do something with your sins. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's not a covering up. That's a taking away. 
That's not a temporary covering of our filth and our trash and our dirt. That's a removal of it. And that's not just dealing with the sin at that level. That's changing the sinner. That's the power and the grace of the death of Christ for our sin. If you do not have Christ's sacrifice applied to your life to reconcile you to the Father, to save you, redeem you, cleanse you, forgive you. Today, you can have Christ if you would just trust him and surrender your life to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, be with us in these next few moments. As we spend a few moments to respond to these words and then as we spend a few moments to respond in this meal. And may you be praised and glorified for all that you accomplish. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.